turn this up. Welcome to the Practice in Motion podcast, where we talk sports, culture, food, oh, and the law. The Practice in Motion podcast is about bringing engaging conversations sprinkled with nuggets and insights about the legal aspects of everyday life. Let's get to it. Let's get to it. Let's get to it. Hey, welcome back to another episode of Practice in Motion with Steve. Hi, everyone, and it's Asia here. And today we have a special guest in the studio with us, Mr. Ruben Gaona. Gaona? Gaona. Correct him, correct him. No, no, he got it right, (laughs) Ruben Gaona. Okay. Entrepreneur and the founder of The Way Out, is that correct? Co-founder. Co-founder of of The Way Out. One of the co-founders of The Way Out, yes. Of The Way Out. So we want to just have a conversation with him about his journey, his background, talk about his company, and how he got to where he is today. Yeah, so Ruben, tell me how and tell the audience how we first got introduced you to Tohiku Law Office. Well, I reached out back in November. I was actually uh, given permission and was told why did I not file for early termination of my federal probation time. And at that time, I had reached out to another attorney that was supposed to help me. Sadly, but true, that attorney wasn't able to help me. That person just kept going, yes, nay, yay, nay, and we'll follow up. And eventually, I reached out to Tohiku Law Office. And we had spoken before through social media and LinkedIn and got connected. And I asked him if he would be willing to assist me to file for my early termination probation and parole. And he's like, yeah, we're most definitely coming to the office. We'll discuss and everything. And he did. He went above and beyond to assist me. I told him what I was looking for. He reached out to my federal probation office. And at that time, it looked like, yes, it was all a go. It was going to get approved. And that's how we got connected. I believe he connected me with you, Asia, which I'm so thankful for all your assistance and grateful more of anything and humble enough that you have gone above and beyond to try to make this happen. Of course, of course. So the way out, how did that come about? I know it probably has a little bit to do with your past experiences and things like that. So can you tell us just about yourself in general, where you're from and kind of how the way out developed? Yeah, I'm originally from El Paso, Texas. I moved up to Milwaukee, Wisconsin when I was 15 years old. My mom moved up here with me and my other three siblings were five in total, but she moved up here with four siblings. We made Milwaukee our hometown. We kind of adopted it. So I was here in Milwaukee up till 2001. And then I left into the military, joined the Navy. I went enlisted. I was enlisted for a little over six years. And eventually in 2007, while I was getting ready to re-enlist, I was unable to re-enlist because of back problems that I was having. So that allowed me not to be able to re-enlist. So I was honorably discharged. And at the same time, I was a little upset with the government the way I got discharged because I fought so hard to stay in. And at that time, I was a personnel specialist, which I knew my bag was not going to play a factor on the job that I was doing. But to the military, I was still, if I was getting deployed, it would be a hazardous thing to be in the ship. So when I ended up getting discharged, that led me back to, I was already stationed in Great Lakes, Illinois, which was close to Milwaukee. That allowed me to get involved with what I like to say now into the wrong path. So I got involved in criminal activity, started hanging around with the wrong friends, the wrong crowd, with my family. And Started doing things that I wasn't supposed to be doing, selling drugs through Milwaukee and transporting drugs all the way from Texas to Wisconsin, to Milwaukee, Wisconsin, which eventually in 2010, in the blink of an eye, my whole life changed because I had also landed a job with the Department of Defense, officer processor specialist. And so I tell people I was living like a double life. Yeah. (laughs) I was selling drugs and working for the DOD. And when I got caught in 2010, the government didn't hold nothing back on me. They hit me with a mandatory minimum of 10 years conspiracy. And that was my first charge. I was looking at 10 years that I have never in my life thought I would be looking at. 
And that led me into being incarcerated. I eventually got sentenced to 120 months. And when I got sentenced, it wasn't until like my five years into my sentence. The first two years, I already knew that I never again wanted to come to this place. And I never wanted to put my mom through what I had put her. My mom was a single mom, worked hard, worked two to three jobs at times to just provide for us. And I was like, just seeing her struggle, all her kids got indicted at the same time. So she would travel to go visit me in Indiana, go to Minnesota to visit my brother, and then drive all the way down to Texas to visit my sister. And that was her lifestyle. And I was like, you know what? I don't want to ever see my mom go through this. She ain't getting no younger. And I started in the medium high in Cherhood. Eventually, I got transferred to a low because I was going to start RDAP, the Residential Drug Abuse Program. And they sent me all the way to Acton, Ohio. And it was there when I met a guy that kind of shifted my whole mindset. One day, he just pulled me out to the side and he's like, yo, Ruben, let me have a talk with you. And I was like, what's going on? He's like, I want to ask you a simple question. Why are you even here? I was like, you're so smart. You're so intellectual. Like, what do you have to show for? And I think at that moment in time, I was like, what do you mean what I have to show for? He's like, how many business companies do you own? I was like, I don't know nothing. They came and took everything from me. I was like, I was literally at the feds take everything. They don't leave you with nothing. They don't play. When they come, they come. And I sat there and I thought about that. And he's like, I'm going to just feed some knowledge into you, man. You have people that come here that are undocumented, that work hard, that own their own houses, own their own businesses, and they're able to make a successful living because they're thankful of the opportunity they have been here in America. But yeah, you don't have nothing to show for. Like, what's going on with that? And then at that moment, I was like, you know what? I need to changed my mindset. For the first time, I went back into my little cell block right there and the unit I was in. And I think around midnight, I just started crying. Like tears just started rolling down my eyes while everybody else was sleeping, obviously, because I don't want no one to see me cry. And I sat there and I said, you know what? All my life, I've been told I couldn't do certain things. I wanted to be a doctor growing up. They told me I couldn't be a doctor because I got raised in El Paso, Texas in the Segundo Barrio, which translates to Second Ward, which is the worst neighborhood at that time in El Paso, Texas. And I was raised by a single mom. So I couldn't be a doctor because of that. So I just needed to find a job to sustain my family or help my mom out, raise us and everything. And I was like, you know, I want to join the Navy. They told me I couldn't join the Navy at first because I had plates and screws. I went and got them removed just to join the Navy. I said, you know what? I will no longer allow people to tell me that I can't do something. I need to find a way to not only help myself, but help other people and make them understand that our mistakes do not define who we are. We could be more than the mistakes we made once we come out. And would you say that was your biggest lesson from your time in incarceration? Yeah, that was my biggest lesson, to not dictate my mistake, define who I am as a man. Because I know how my mom had done a better job to raise me as a man, and I know who I was individually. I made a mistake, but that wasn't going to be who I was. So coming out in 2017, I had already come out with a mindset that, you know what, I want to find a way to connect not only formerly incarcerated people with employers and find sustainable living wage jobs. So I said, you know what, I'm going to come out and be a case manager. Because I know while I was incarcerated, my case manager didn't do much for me. So a lot of people are probably having the same problems. So coming out of here, I was like, I want to be case manager. I was presented with an opportunity by a company called Rescare. I met the operational manager at that time. And she was like, I love your resume. I love your background. I love that you're trying to change your whole life. We want to give you an opportunity because that's what we're all about. The one condition is that you got to go apply through a staffing agency because at that time, they hire all the people through the staffing agency. I, don't have, I have no problem with that. So I went and applied to the staffing agency. Interview went great. But once she saw that, mind you, once she saw that employment gap, it was like, why do you have this seven, seven years year. <laughs> of employment gap in your resume? And I was honest with her. I disclosed to her, look, realistically, I've just been released. 
I got sentenced to 120 months due to my good time and programming. I was able to obtain three years off. Uh, like I've learned from a lesson, I'm just looking to contribute back to society and be able to help people understand that we're much better people than the mistakes we make. And she's like, well, give me a second. That recruiter came back and was like, that position you're applying for has about a year waiting list. And I was like, well, I was just told that there was positions open. But I was like, okay. But she's like, but I do have a janitorial job if you want to consider it making $8.50 an hour. Mind you, I already knew that case management position paid a little bit over 19. So I was like, man, you're cutting a little bit more than half right. Right, to 850. <laughs> I was like, I have five kids I got to sustain. With 850, I'm not going to be able to sustain a household of five kids and a wife. And I told her, no, thank you. And that led me to going back into my car, sitting in my car two weeks after being out and crying again, seeing tears roll down my eyes. I put my visor down and I looked at that man in front of the mirror, just shedding tears. And I said, you know what? You need to bet on yourself because no one else is going to bet on you. The stigma that society has on formerly incarcerated people is real high. They label you as a failure. Like, you don't deserve a second chance opportunity. And went back the following day, say thanks to the operational manager and told her to this day, I'm real thankful to Katina. I'll forever be grateful to Katina because when I told her what had happened, she just said, hold on here. No, that doesn't sound right. She picked up the phone, made a couple phone calls and was like, do you have time? And I was like, for what? Fill out an application. I'm going to schedule an interview for you next week. Can you make it? And I was like, most definitely I can make it. Right. And I got hired directly and that changed my whole life. Just that company gave me that second chance opportunity and working in the field as a case manager and thinking of the idea of like, we need to do more. There has to be more. Yeah, no, and it also probably has a part with you and you stepping into that field and putting your neck out there and not knowing what could happen, but also trying and not giving up. So seriously, kudos to you because... A lot of people give up, and I know especially formerly incarcerated people, it is just like you talked about. It is really hard to bounce back from something like that. So once you were released after those seven years, how long of a time frame was it before you got that first position? Two weeks. Two weeks. Wow. Yeah, I was out of and Within two weeks, I got a job offer. I had interviewed, got a job offer. And I remember telling, uh, being in the halfway house and telling the staff that I wanted to be a case manager, and they laughed at me. And they're like, yeah. you're not going to be a case manager, Mr. Gauna. Wow. And I was like, well, why not? And they're like, what about that barrier? And I've never even heard that word barrier at this time. I'm like, what do you mean barrier? He's like, that you're a felon. I'm like, what does that got to do with anything? What that barrier, that you're a felon is going to stop you. I was like, you know what? What you see as weakness, I see as strength. Because not a lot of people could relate to people applying for these programs like I can. Because right. I've been in their shoes. And I'm able to tell them, you know what? I grew up poor. I had a career. I lost my career. But here I am again, remaking my career again. I told him, give me 45 days. And within 30 days, I already had a job offer. Wow. Oh, wow. You're probably one of the few people who have such a success story like that. So for people who are like incarcerated and you did a lot of things while you were in there to better yourself and your opportunities. So what type of things did you do while incarcerated to be able to kind of get a job and change your mindset coming out to get a job two weeks later? I'll be honest with you, Aisha, a lot of the stuff that I did pretty much led to me doing it by myself. I had to self-reflect with myself and change my whole own mindset. In the medium high that I was in, there was not a lot of programming for us to do because the feds is a lot different than the state. So we didn't have a lot of stuff to do. So a lot of our my time consisted either reading books, playing chefs, or going out and working out. But at the same time, it was getting to know myself about who I was as an individual and knowing who I wanted to be. And eventually when I came down to the low and realizing that, you know what, taking art that made me realize one thing, that I have a choice. I've been through a lot growing up that a lot of people could probably not relate. 
and that I felt that I never had a choice for other things and I was forced to that down my hand to doing a lot of things. But realistically, I had to take ownership and say, you know what? You always had a choice. When people told you that you couldn't join the Navy, you took making the choice of going and having surgery. I understood that. And nowadays I live my life by that. We all have choices. And whatever choice we make, if it's a good choice or a bad choice, it's going to have a consequence. It's just a matter of if you're going to have a good consequence or a bad consequence. So when I shifted my mindset of who I wanted to be and knowing that I have a choice and the choice that I make could lead into good consequences if I make the correct ones, that's what I did while I was, you know, I shifted my whole mindset and, and understood and took ownership of the mistakes that I made that as, instead of me blaming a CI for telling on me, well, really, he would have never told on me if I would have never put myself in that predicament. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, I had no need to put myself in that predicament when I had a good job. But that was a choice I made. I made the choice to be mad at the government because I got discharged. I made a choice to go get involved in this. So it all fell back into me taking ownership of those mistakes. Yeah. Now tell me this. You mentioned this earlier about the stigma that people who have been incarcerated have. What do you think could be done to kind of lessen that stigma for those who have served time? So they paid their dues to society and now they have to come and have reentry into society. So how do we remove that stigma in your opinion? Get to know the individual. One of the things I got real familiarized with was before you read the book, get to know the author. Get to know that person. See what qualifications they have. See what they have done to better themselves instead of just looking at a box where they have checked in an application that they've been convicted of a criminal. You know, Mm -hmm. I just spoke not too long ago on behalf of the expungement bill of 78 to get passed. And it was on behalf of like on veterans, how many times a veteran is often overseen just because he's checked that he was convicted of a felony. Right. And often employers do that. They won't even see that you're a veteran. They'll just look at, oh, I checked that box. Have you ever been convicted of a felony? And if you have, that automatically creates that stigma of what kind of felony was this person incarcerated for? And a lot of times that felony is a nonviolent offense. Mine was a nonviolent offense. But so get to know that individual, get to know that person that you're going to work with. That helps a lot. I know we're getting short on time, so tell us a little bit about The Way Out and who that serves and how it works and what your plans are for your startup. Yeah, most definitely. So The Way Out launched, we started in the beginning of 2020. We went through Generator. We did their G-Alpha, G-Beta, and The Way Out pretty much we're breaking the cycle of incarceration through technology and living wage jobs. So we created an antibiotic employment platform where people are able to apply. We connected with employers where you're higher based on your qualifications. Okay. And at the same time, we developed early this year, we launched our My Way Out app. So My Way Out app, we assist the formerly incarcerated people and the case manager. We work with reentry service providers and family, American Family for Insurance and Social Impact, sponsored the first 50 reentry organization for the whole state of Wisconsin that we work with reentry service providers that are working with formerly incarcerated people to set tracks to help these individuals to stay focused. Our aim is to not just follow them typically for 90 days and forget all about them once they land a job, but to continue to stay engaged with them for a whole year and see where else they might need service and assistance and work with the employer to set goals for this person to not look at something as just a job, but hopefully a career. No, that's amazing because I think part of the stigma that incarcerated individuals get is based on possibly their mindset coming out. They Not all incarcerated individuals have that mindset coming out like you did. So what you're doing is amazing work because you're giving them 
an instant resource that they can have to know that people care about them and know that they can come back from whatever just had them incarcerated. So it's amazing. And I love how you work with them longer than just like those 45 or 90 days. Like you said, I think that's super important because life happens and you don't know. You can't just give up on someone or forget about someone just because they seem good for two weeks. And especially with people coming out of incarceration, they have more odds, right, stacked against them. And yeah, I love the mentorship that this provides. So you're doing amazing work for sure. Thank you. Yeah, we often tell people that when you hire someone from the way out or you work with someone from the way out, you get a whole family that's vested in this person to see them be successful. Right. So you just don't hire one individual. You hire a group of people that wants to see this person be successful because, I mean, I know we often talk about second chances, but other people sometimes never even had a second chance. And this is actually their first chance, even though they've been incarcerated three or four times. But you can't really say, well, this is their second chance or the third or the fourth, because they didn't even get a second chance at all by no one providing that opportunity to sustainable employment. For sure. Definitely let our listeners know where they can find more information about you and the way out. Most definitely. They could log out to www.twout.org. Or they can always send me an email at R-G-A-O-N-A at T-W-O-U-T dot O-R-G. Perfect. And we'll include that in our podcast link as well. In the show notes. Yes. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Thank you, Ruben, for speaking with us and telling us a little bit about your journey and about the things you are up to. We wish you much success. We know that you'll continue to do great things. And hopefully we can have you back in the near future. Thank you so much. Take care. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and review in your favorite podcast app. We would love to hear from you. If you have questions or just want to say hi, you can reach out on our website listed in the show notes. Till next time, practice in motion.